Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. So it's very difficult if you're like I, for me, because I write about AB5 and I write about the California Clean Fleets rule and the Clean Trucks rule. And this morning I wrote about AB5 and now I've got to kind of transition. No, we're talking about clean fleets with Matt. So, um, I think I should move to California. You know, there's just so much going on out there from the, the regulatory position. So anyway, I'm John Kingston, and Matt is the uh, CEO of the Harbor Trucking Association. Why don't you talk a little bit about what HTA is? Yeah, thank you, John. First of all, I'd like to be- apologize on the behalf of the entire state of California for huh. our progressive policies that we've been kind of inf- that have infiltrated the rest of the country. Um, HTA, we are a nonprofit member-driven association. We represent motor carriers doing business at West Coast Ports. So from San Diego all the way up to Seattle, Tacoma. Main focus is obviously in California. That's where, you know, the action is. Not only is the LA Long Beach Gateway the longest port complex in the country, uh, but it is home to many, many issues, as you were alluding to there earlier. So uh, no shortage of challenges, but it keeps us busy. It keeps things interesting, to say the least. So uh, appreciate the opportunity here, and hopefully we'll get we'll have a good conversation. All right. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about where I'm coming from. And also this kind of relates to anybody who heard me yesterday interview Marion Tupi. One of the arguments he was making about government regulation, he's a libertarian, but as he said, he's not an anarchist. Um, and he said, you know, the history of government regulation is that his view is that if, if, if economic activity is here, the regulation to make that activity different will usually go up to here. And that the view is that if you only go up to here, you can usually fill in the gap by various things um, to close it. So, and and I wrote about oil for most of my career, and particularly in the 90s, the U.S. was introducing a lot of changes in in, uh, in fuels. It really cleaned up the uh, the fuel pool, and what's coming out of our tailpipes today is like 90 to 95 percent cleaner than it was. All during that time, I heard the apocalypse was coming, and it never happened. So. Yeah, you know, I'm a little skeptical uh, of cries that were really in danger as a result of all these California rules. At the same time, I can't help but look at it and think, what Marion's talking about this, we're really talking about here on clean fleets and clean trucks. That the gap from where we are now to where the the, the regulators in California want us to be is enormous. It really is enormous. Now, we could have had many people here today to do this talk, but I wanted to have Matt because— of course, Matt's community is the drayage community. The drayage community is going to get hit the hardest as of like next year. Well, probably getting hit now, but the regulations actually, you know, will really kick in there um, on January 1st. So uh, we could talk for hours about the whole impact of clean fleets, but we're going to focus on drayage. Why don't you talk about what your industry is facing on January 1st? Sure. Yeah. So just a scant six months from now, any first-time entrant into any port, maritime port service, or any Class 1 railroad will need to be zero emissions. So that means you cannot add additional capacity that is not zero emissions, which for California translates into hydrogen or battery electric. It's not about what comes out of your tailpipe. It's basically what isn't coming out of your tailpipe, more or less. So starting on that date, we have motor carriers who are not going to be able to add additional capacity to meet shippers' demands. So what we're doing is on the front end, 
you see a lot more diesel being added into the system right now to compensate for any swings that might come up. The rule is you basically have to visit a port, a covered facility, or a class one rail yard at least one time a year to maintain your eligibility. So every year thereafter, 2024, starting in 2025, fleets will need to start reporting their mileage. And there's something in California called the useful life provision, where it effectively gives you a minimum of 13 years on your engineer, up to 18 years or 800,000 miles in between. So you put a truck in the system, you have at least until that engine turns 13 years old. The requirement is when the truck turns 12, obviously engines are typically one model year older than the truck year. So starting in 2025, fleets, once their truck turns 12, will need to start reporting their mileage every single year. And when they hit 18 years, 13 years, or 800,000 miles, and they are effectively removed from the system. Right, but now, now a truck, I believe that right now you can't have a truck that's 2009 or earlier. Is that the cutoff? 2010 engines are what the standard is. 2010 engines. But, but even so, those trucks are all just hitting this useful life now. I mean, you can add, let's say, a brand new truck in November and you'd be okay. But if you, if you bought a brand new truck in 2011, it's going to be facing that 13-year, right? So, so these, these things will fall off even if they're, you know, if they're 11 or 12 years old already. Exactly. So starting one one twenty five, you have until February 15th to report your mileage. So on the 2010, 11, and 2012 trucks, or 2012 engines, excuse me, they need to start reporting. So if they're over 800,000 miles, come one one twenty five, they'll be immediately removed from the system. Generally, in the past few years, how many trucks have kind of fallen out of the system just from age? It, it varies because you have just at the end of last year, we had that 2010 engine standard kick in where on average you were looking at about 5,000 some odd trucks in LA, Long Beach alone. Those trucks started cycling out. By the end of the year, they were responsible for handling about 14% of all full container moves in LA and Long Beach. So come one 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 twenty three, they were removed from the system. Every year, we didn't have other more strict entry standards or requirements that would force trucks to be brought out until that one one twenty three day came up. But like we like to say, the regulators know something we don't because they seem to time all these mandates when we're in some kind of cargo downturn. <laughs> so you don't feel the the pinch as much. You don't realize that you just lost almost twenty percent of the capacity. So come one one twenty five, you know, by that February fifteenth date, the estimate in LA Long Beach, according to ARB's own numbers, is about two thousand trucks. So one one twenty five. 2,000 trucks are going to be effectively removed from the system overnight, more or less. The problem typically for us is not necessarily the truck, right? The technology for electric vehicles have, have been there. With the truck itself, yes, it's $500,000 out the door, basically, and it weighs more. Uh, but it's not really that issue. Range, right? Those aren't really the issue. The issue is the infrastructure. And if you do some back-of-the-napkin calculations, we're talking just in 2025 alone to support those 2,000 vehicles, 150 to 200 additional megawatts will need to be available to charge those vehicles. And we are we are not there at this point. I do want to come back to a point you made earlier because it's not, it's one I hadn't heard before. You say there has been a rush to put new internal combustion engines into the, the fleet this year. Do you have any kind of an estimate of number? I assume it's more than you would have gotten in the, the old days, the number of new trucks coming in. The number of vehicles that's in this, the LA, we'll stick to LA Long Beach, not overcomplicate things, but you know, in the statewide registry, there's over 300,000 vehicles registered. 
In LA Long Beach, you have 20,000 vehicles that are cleared to do business. That number has pretty much been pretty consistent from 19 to 21 for, for several years. The active vehicles is where it's different because you can register a truck to be in service. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to the ports. So how they track this data, they show that right now about 14,900 vehicles are currently operating in LA Long Beach. That, that's generally average. But what's interesting is, is that when you look at the data and there is a lot of churn, it's not necessarily the same trucks every year. But when you look at the data and we're down, you know, year over year by about 150,000 individual containers, if you compare to April, uh, April of 2022, right now in 2023, we're moving 100,000 less more containers, but with more trucks. So you have more vehicles being obviously being put into the system and more actually actively moving as well. So there's an obvious dynamic here that folks are seeing the writing on the wall and starting to front load those vehicles in into the system as we speak. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best, it's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line, it's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI, it's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Right, and let's point out that um, Matt may be the only person in this facility right now who's really rooting for that Panama Canal drought, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and then if you talk to the environment, because what we're up against in California, you know, we have these very proactive climate activists, right? These people are young, they're mad, they're not having kids because they're afraid of the future of this world and how it's going to be, you know, handling these, these massive swings in climate. So this is the mentality. And ironically enough, you know, I would almost go so far as to accuse the California Resources Board of greenwashing their own regulation because they assume that people are just going to replace those vehicles one-to-one -one with electric trucks. Those 2,000 trucks that are out, they assume that there's going to be 2,000 electric vehicles. And that's how they do all this forecasting for emissions reductions. That's not the case. We're going to see more diesel trucks put in. We are going to see diesel trucks staying on for longer, right? Not everybody holds onto their truck for 18 years, maybe in some of the smaller fleet side of things, but the larger fleets are turning their equipment over every two to three years. The ARB has effectively removed that ability for them to do that and now keeping diesel trucks in the system longer. We don't have flexibility in drayage. You can't run alternative fuels to meet these zero emission standards. You can't run renewable diesel, biodiesel, renewable natural gas, propane. None of those are an option. Is it, wouldn't a, excuse me, wouldn't a, an ICE engine, an internal combustion engine running renewable diesel would not be considered a ZEV? No, no. Okay. Despite the fact that it could even be climate, you know, carbon negative, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Especially in the renewable natural gas side. I mean, biomethane is a viable transportation fuel. You know, they're, they're building these dairy digesters and landfill and these other methane digesters across the state, but it's to power the grid. They don't want it to be used in transportation because of fugitive methane emissions that come from the process itself, which also comes from as you- Where if you burn the methane right there on the spot and if you put you it into the grid, exactly, better. Okay. Exactly. I mean, let's point out something here that, you know, within the trucking community, nobody thinks that long distance trucks are going to be powered by batteries, but drayage because they return to home base at night, batteries remain a, uh, an option. It's a mixed bag, right? I mean, we have carriers, and trust me, we have motor carriers who are investing in zero emissions technology, hands down. 
Yeah, Schneider just made an announcement right. like last week. Schneider, there's there's all sorts of large large motor carriers and some medium sized that are making the investment. They're looking at trucks as a service models where you're effectively leasing a vehicle, a parking spot, and charging. And it's all one payment for the entire month. So there's some creative solutions being applied here. But the assumption for drayages is yes, it's always back to base every night. We have trucks coming from all over the country. We have members coming from Phoenix, Central Valley. I mean, let's just take the Central Valley, for instance. You wouldn't really look at that as like a long haul route necessarily. California is very long, obviously. So you cannot do a round trip from Fresno to the ports of LA and Long Beach on a single charge. You would get down to LA Long Beach and then need to charge up to get back. And the way the charging rates are now for, for charging pedestals, you know, the max a truck can take is 270 kilowatt hours right now. You have 350 kilowatt hour chargers, but the truck can only take 270 as the technology exists today. Everyone uses the iPhone reference, right? Like, well, look, my iPhone's bigger or now and it works better. These are not iPhones, but yes, technology will evolve. We all understand that. We see that it's coming. But for drayage, what becomes interesting is it's not always that model of coming back to base every night. Plus, we have two shifts. Both Oakland and LA Long Beach have night shifts where fleets are slip seating those trucks. And when you would be charging that vehicle for that slip seat between the shifts is right when peak demand is happening in California with the highest demand charges. Granted, you can enter into contracts with some of the investor-owned utilities to get demand charges waived for a certain period of time, but it's it's difficult to reconcile. I always have my members going, well, didn't they just tell us to not plug in our electric vehicles from 4 to 9 p.m. when we had that heat wave in the late August? Ironically enough, too, that's the same day that the ARB announced the latest version of Advanced Clean Fleet. Well, I, mean, I, I do want to mention one thing about the rule they, where they did... You know, they, they had hearings and draft proposals, and then the final proposal did have a few changes in it. One I think most people thought was relatively significant is that some of these requirements could be waived if, to your point, the infrastructure could be shown to be not be able to be installed in a timely manner. That's right, which we had to fight for because it wasn't in the rule be to begin with. Now, the other part of the rule, there's high-priority fleets, there's public fleets, there's federal fleets. They have different requirements. Drayage is zero emissions or nothing. The problem with those exemptions, John, and this goes back to this greenwashing accusation, is that all it does is give longer life to your diesel vehicles. You can't go and say, okay, well, I have an infrastructure delay. I'm in desperate need of additional capacity. Can I add in some internal combustion engines to meet my customer's demand? Even if it was renewable, even if it was alternative fuel, you don't have that option. Right. Now, let me just, boy, time really flies, doesn't it? Um, it does. Let me point out that that sort of regular trucks on the road are not covered by this regulation. They are covered by something called the high priority fleets. To be a high priority fleet, you have to have 50, 50 million in revenue, five zero. And there's some other definitions too. But but my, my point here, what is my point here? Um, uh, my point here is that that the 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 the, the role in the phase in is under something called the milestones. Mm -hmm. um, we need far more time to go those. But the point I want to make now, I never remember what my point is is that they're playing the long game. So there he is. Somebody from, from CARB, I think, was here. They would say to you, Matt, you're right. In the short term, we might have worse emissions because people are running their diesel trucks longer. But we're looking at 2050, and we're looking at 2060, and we want that fleet to be completely clean by then, and we're willing to take this hit now to get there. I think that that's what they might say to you. They, they wouldn't. Okay. They would never admit, ever, <laughs> right? 
But this is the, Maybe this, is the, the this is the hypocrisy of it, right? And I've been on panels with ARB where it's gotten a little chippy, to say the least. I can imagine. But, you know, it's not 2050, it's not 2060, it's 2035 is where we start. And really for us, it's 2024. And these are real businesses. These are people's livelihoods that we're dealing with. And the ARB and their marble tower in Sacramento are passing these regulations. They've never even operated a forklift, yet alone a heavy-duty vehicle. And we can talk to them till we're blue in the face. But frankly, they don't have the courage to stand up to the environmental lobby or the community justice lobby, who's doing a great job, by the way. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing fantastic because they're getting basically everything they want. We have indirect source rules on warehouses. We have another indirect source rule, which is like a diesel magnet rule where they cap the amount of emissions that can come out of, uh, out of that particular facility. They're looking, already been done for warehouses, looking at ports, looking at rail yards. We have these zero emission mandates. It's, it, it is bonkers. But, you know, you, you look in the, in the short term, though, and I'm just wondering, you know, I can, I can imagine a situation over the next two years where because of the phase out of so many vehicles, because of the possible diversion back to the L.A. ports because you're not going to go through the Panama Canal if it's in the middle of some El Nino drought, that the rates get so good for a while that everybody hangs on for a while and your capacity is maybe not long term. OK, but maybe you avoid that short term hit because, I mean, this is kind of perverse, but the rates get really strong and you get you attract a lot of capacity possibility. And then the then it falls back down. Well, we've all we've all seen the charts, you know. Look, there. Yes, there's always that. There's always that possibility. You need command and control, right? Regulation is there for a reason. We all understand that. But this is not about environmental air quality reductions. This is about political expediency at this point in time. The ARB is unchecked at this point. California Trucking Association is going to sue the Air Resources Board, so we're taking donations. But also, it's okay. Come back to California. You can bring your freight back to California. ILWU contract, for the most part, is finalized. We have some of the dust shaking off from AB5. We have the capacity right now. It's important to understand that the West Coast, you know, we like to say is the best coast, right? And yeah, we're going to feel some pinches. But the hypocrisy of this rule goes beyond just the fact that, well, it's only relative to zero emissions, right? They'll tell us, yes, your emissions are higher in the first couple of years that you're operating, at least on the light duty side. I haven't seen the heavy duty side yet because of the sourcing of the materials to build the batteries, right? We don't talk about the environmental degradation that, you know, nickel mining and nickel refining has, copper, right? Lithium, child sourced cobalt from the Congo. I mean, there's there's a lot of other issues that we're talking about. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's the whole issue with all renewables. Well, yeah, we yeah. only have two minutes, you know, essentially, yeah. but we could go on about this. And, and again, I think it's really important to understand that as we move into this transition, nobody in the trucking industry has said, we can't get there. No one has said, we're not going to do it or we're opposed to doing it. It's how we get there. And that's the problem with this regulation. It's very short-sighted. It's really just throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall to see what sticks. And they took a very lazy approach, I will say, in drafting the drayage rule because they're just basically resting on it's zero emissions or nothing. And I think that that's where we're seeing some issues. If this was structured to the point where we had phase-in opportunities like they do under the high-priority right. mm -hmm. if we had credit that was able to be generated by operating carbon-negative equipment, I think we'd have a much different conversation about what we're looking at moving forward. It's just, it's unfortunate, but this is a reality. I mean, California, again, I've said a thousand times, is the bleeding edge of progressive policy. That's never going to change. But, and you have other states piling on right now. 
onto the advanced clean trucks rule, which is a different rule. That's the manufacturer mandate that says you need to sell an increasing percentage yeah. of it. I, I, because something I do want to bring up in our limited time. One thing I learned again covering fuels is that the OEMs, more than anything else, do not want to make two cars, two trucks. Okay. They don't want to make here's here's our production line for California, or in the case of so many other states that have said they will adopt California's rules. Here's our production line for California, New York. I don't know all the states, but a lot of them. And here's our production line for the rest of the country. And I think that what the trucking industry is concerned about here is that California is the 800-pound gorilla on its own. Then you throw in the other states that are going to follow it. Now it's a 1,200-pound gorilla. And that the California standards essentially become nationalized. Yeah. Do you think that's a legitimate fear? Yes, but you know, relative to internal combustion, without a doubt. And we're seeing right now, because California also has its own engine standard, the low NOx omnibus rule, which has resulted in OEMs limiting the amount of internal combustion engines that they're making for sale in California. So it's already starting. The irony also with the advanced clean trucks rule is that it's based upon your previous year's sales. And every motor carrier that I talk to, A, they don't like to be the test dummies for new engine standards, and B, they pre-buy to avoid that specifically. So for the standards that they're going to be basing those increasingly stringent requirements for advanced clean trucks, you're going to now have an issue where they're they're not as high as they would they would see. So yes, you have, I think it's six other states. You mentioned New York. It's the entire West Coast, Oregon, Washington, California. They're being sued, right? There's, there's no shortage of lawsuits right. that, are, that are being put to this. But yeah, ideally, and the OEMs, you know, they, they want to sell trucks. That's what they do. They want to support their customers. The zero emission side of things is a different animals where, you know, they're going to have to set up their own production lines for it anyways. But this is the way the world is going. I think that everyone knows this, that this, this is where we are headed to. We just got to get there in a, in a reasonable, you know, stretched out way. We, we need to think about how these impacts are going to function relative to the supply chain which is critical. As we all saw, right, We supply chains were running on the radar for quite some time until the 109 ships were at anchor in LA Long Beach. Now everybody on Capitol Hill is a supply chain expert, right? But at the same time, we need to think about how those things are going to impact. It's it's fascinating stuff. And again, I'm I'm sorry for the, st- for the state of California, but it's okay. Come back to California. I want you to come back to California. Well, and maybe you come back next year and give us a status report of how things are after the, yeah. the January 1st cutoff day. I, I'll so. be completely bald by then. <laughs> so. Matt Strapp from the Harbor Trucking Association. Thanks, Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody.